1: See oh, man, We've never seen one the out there.
0: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ball. TC Martin. Way back
2: Is now in. Hour
3: number two, glad to have you with us here on this Wild Wooly Wednesday. Definitely been Wild and Wooly thus far. (laughs) Appreciate T.J. Reeves for joining us last hour. And Trevor Maddich breaking it all down for you. College football, playoff, bowl games galore, all happening. There's a little bit more Billy Preston, see? And Billy Preston in the space race last hour? Michael Strahan going into space with a diaper. Diaper mandatory. Crazy story there, right? Don't forget, join us at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas on Friday. We got our Best Bet segment, of course. Jay Schrader, the former Raiders quarterback, the former Washington football team slash Redskin quarterback. There you go. Back in the day, Super Bowl ring to prove it. He will be joining us, part of our best bets and everything else going on as well, too. May have an appearance from Colleen the Handicapping Queen as well, too, from the Cosmopolitan. And i she's definitely one of your favorites there. All right. So, uh, yes, Cosmopolitan Las Vegas each and every Friday, the place to be on the Strip, whether it is for your dining pleasures. Huh did I have some great dining pleasures last weekend. Fantastic. At the Cosmopolitan, And of course, Blue Ribbon, the barbershop. Uh, even though the barbershop really is not really geared towards dining. That's more for entertainment. Numchuk, saw one of your favorite bands there. Steel Panther. You and John Jiggy Maxwell. Steel Panther. Had no idea. Just said, had to take my my guy Dusty Baker and, and, and Jacques Jones and the crew. We got to... You know, go to the Cosmopolitan, have herself a, a nice dinner, and kudos to the cosmopolitan Just fantastic uh, evening there. And uh, got to go to the barbershop. And if you've never been to the barbershop before, you've heard us probably talk about it on, on the show. But yes, it's an actual barbershop. But you go through the barbershop, you go through the secret passage door, and then boom, you've got this fantastic kind of speakeasy nightclub uh, rock and roll jam pit. Uh, the architecture, the bars, everything that's in there. Outstanding. So we're there. We're getting the VIP treatment. And I see our good friend from the Las Vegas Aces, John Jiggy Maxwell, flipping me off. Dusty thought he was flipping him off. Like, what, what, what is this? And it's his way to say hi. And he says, what are you guys doing here at a steel Panther concert. We both looked at him and said, What are you talking about? Steel Panther. Now I've heard of Steel Panther. Uh, amazing. They're fantastic. Great band. I guess, would you say that they do like a lot of parodies? Would you say that? Kind of. It's a lot of, it's original music. But the lyrics are <laughs> maybe not for all ages. Oh, yes. The Asian hooker was fantastic, by the way. I'm talking about the song, not the one that got on stage with them. Well, she was fine too, but yes, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea what I was walking in for. I said, "Hey, it's just going to be a night out. Don't know what band is playing because they have live entertainment there seven nights a week." Had no idea, but uh, said, "Okay, this I'm, I'm down for this." They said, "Well, you know, it could be a little raunchy. Uh, it's going to be fun, and uh, your eardrums will probably be blasted." i checked check the box in, on all of those. It, it, it was definitely the case. But, no, great time. Yeah. I think, and to quote Dusty said, you got a lot of crazy you-know-what's uh, you know, in, in this city here, man. <laughs> ah, Vegas, baby. You got to love it. You know, for a lot of people who don't get to Vegas on a regular basis, you know. You gotta love it, yeah. Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, uh, the spot. Like I said, whether it's it's dining, gaming, entertainment aspect, or of course the sports book, the William Hill sports book there, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, So come out and join us each and every Friday, and uh, be part of that. All right, Um, where we go here? I mean, my man Steve Sachs uh, scheduled to join us, and we're we talked to Chris Bosio yesterday, about the Major League Baseball uh, lockout that's currently happening right now. 1994, Major League Baseball had the lockout. Uh, Bozzi was involved in that. Sachs was actually involved in that, too. That was actually his last year uh, in Major League Baseball. Only got a chance to play seven games you know, because of it. But a lot of people really aren't talking about this, and this is a very serious issue. And if you're a Major League Baseball fan, you should be concerned as well, too, because we had 29 years of labor peace. 29 years, everything has been good, everything has been fantastic, and now we're in a position where this could be 1994 all over again. The World Series was canceled that year. Uh, The big sticking point was free agency at that point in time, but more importantly was the salaries that went along with it. And when you go back to 1994, where the players striked, uh, Major League Baseball thought about replacement players, minor leaguers coming up to play. That wasn't going to go over very well uh, at all. And uh, this thing lasted for over a year, year and a half. And um, are we in that situation again? Because we have not had anything in Major League Baseball since that time of the 1994 strike. The issues this time around is free agency more so than the actual salaries. The salaries are um, fantastic if you're a Major League Baseball player. Owners. Well, maybe not so much. However, teams are making money. You've got the multi-billion dollar network deal that you have with all of the networks right now for Major League Baseball. Teams are making money. Fans are back in the stands. But remember, if you go back, if you're old enough to remember 1994 with the strike, those, those fans were re- really reluctant to go back into ballparks. I mean, it was downright ugly. I mean, I would say for the next five years, people had animosity towards the sport of Major League Baseball, specifically the players. Do you know what the biggest salary was after that? When they finally came to terms and owners came back and said, okay, well, we're really not for paying these salaries and these free agency. All of a sudden, owners start dipping into the pockets. Albert Bell was one of the best players at that time. And his contract that he signed was a five-year deal for $55 million. And people lost their minds. They were going berserk, saying, how could you sign someone for fifty-five million million, five five years? And you do the math, you know, that's... It's you million, $11 million a season. And that was just the beginning. Now we're talking about salaries with free agents, long-term deals for 10 years, eclipsing $300,000. $30 million a season. You remember the Alex Rodriguez contract? That was insane. And Texas paid for that just over and over and over again. They were ridiculed for that. So Major League Baseball salaries are definitely out of control. But the sticking point right now with owners and players is the time frame for free agency. When can a player get to the back end? We had Jock Jones on yesterday, the former Major League Baseball outfielder, played with the Twins and the Cubs and the Marlins. And he said, you want to get to the back end of that contract. And right now, it, you know, it it takes guys at least three, four, five years to get to the back end of the contract where they can make the big-time money. And uh, as of right now, you know this is the sticking point. No one's talking about it. Uh, Rob Manfred really isn't in any hurry. I think he's thinking, well, things will work itself out. And the owners are saying, hey, we're not going to budge here. But that is what it's all about right now. It is how long... Can this free agency? What what is the time frame here? Because uh, players don't want to be stuck for a four or five year deal. They don't want that. They 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 want to have a minimum basically of their their first you know contract being signed. You know a, a three year deal. They want to get to free agency as quickly as they can. The minimum salary right now for a rookie coming in minus the bonus and all that stuff. Is, is $588,000. I mean, think about that. That's $588,000 if you're just coming in. And that's not even counting your signing bonus. Chris Bosio told us yesterday when he came in the league, you're know, going back in the early 80s, $36,000 a year. Think about that. You go to the early 80s, say 1982, 1983, $36,000 a season. Now, the minimum. Is 588,000. You live a pretty good life if you're a Major League Baseball player. You're sitting pretty. The game is in good shape right now. It really is. Fans have pretty much forgotten. Even when they've had to go through these ordeals of the Astros situation, you know, fans slowly but surely have kind of forgotten about that, got away from that. Um, you know you're dealing with the small market teams that are, you know, not competitive. You've had some success though. I mean, with some smart, you know, drafting, um, you know, utilizing some some lower tier free agents. Look at what the A's have done. Look what the Rays have done in these small market teams. Now, how long lived are the Rays and the A's? How long you know can they stay in these markets? Both these franchises are talking about moving. The A's are talking about moving here to Las Vegas. That's probably going to become a reality. Las Vegas is still not a major market, even though we have two million people here right now. You you have a, a, a smaller television market, a very small television market. It would be, you know, one of the smallest in all of professional sports. So, how are the A's if they are going to come here? How are they going to be operating? With these, you know, the situation that Major League Baseball is in right now, and a lot of people ask, "Well, how's this going to affect the minor leagues?" Well, minor leagues are, have been cleared to play, so we're we're expecting minor league baseball to happen no matter what. But if there is a Major League Baseball strike, there there are going to be some repercussions here, and uh, how are people going to handle that? Well, uh, we'll have to see. But right now, the lockout started on December the first. And uh, we're smack dab in the middle of it right now. Right now, no spring training is, is scheduled. And if you're a Major League Baseball player or you're a manager, you're a fan, you're wondering how long this thing will, will last. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. We talked about in the first hour, uh, very special shout-out to a uh, good friend, good friend of the program, Bob Aram. It is his birthday, and again, I wanted to celebrate his birthday today, and we talked a little bit about it uh, with T.J. Reeves, who covers the sport of of boxing as well. We're going to talk about it with Sam Gordon here pretty soon as well, too. Uh, Bob Arum turns 90 today. Bob Arum has all of his faculties. He has done a fantastic job in the sport of boxing uh, at a time when... A lot of people thought boxing was going to go by the wayside and die. Bob Aram continued to promote. He continued to promote. He was really the only promoter that promoted during the pandemic. And he promoted all of that here in Las Vegas as well, too. Going to the MGM Grand in the convention center, uh, having his deal in place with ESPN. ESPN said, hey, we will continue to to air matches. And for the better part of 2020, Bob Aram lost... Quite a bit of money because, you know, th- there was no live gate. Uh, a lot of the sponsorships uh, you know, were, were not there. But he withstood the storm to come back this year in 2021, which was a very good boxing year. Promoted Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder three uh, to rave reviews. Definitely will be fight of the year when that's announced here in the next couple weeks. And then turned around and did Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter as well. He promoted both of those fights, both here in Las Vegas, uh, both drew nearly 20,000 fans uh, here in Vegas, great live gates, uh, good pay-per-view numbers uh, as well, too, and both very, very exciting fights. But this is a guy who's just not sitting at home. He goes to the office every day, still travels around the world. He is 90 years old today, and happy birthday, my guy, Bob Arum. Uh, we we're going to get Bob you know, on the show. Uh, if not today, uh, tr- try to get him on tomorrow. He's back in New York uh, promoting uh, Vasily Lomachenko's uh, fight coming up against Richard Comey, 12-round main event, Madison Square Garden, coming up uh, on ESPN Saturday night. But, uh, yeah, he, it started in Brooklyn for him, and uh, he's back there. 2,119 boxing cards promoted. Amazing. 864 boxing shows on ESPN and 677 world title fights by top rank. 550 of those promoted here in Nevada. So the list goes on and on. HBO, ABC, CBS, Showtime. uh, Amazing. Let's get some thoughts. All right, 702. 2 83 Let's go to the phones. Talk to Karen. Karen, what's happening?
1: Hey, TC. I heard you talk about Bobby. I just wanted to chime in a little bit. Um, I just think the man has done so much for boxing and doesn't get, you know, all the credit he deserves. Uh, the people who know him know, but the average boxing fan doesn't know. I mean, uh, back in the day, Don King did a lot of screaming and shouting to get his name out there and have the attention Well, Bob has just done it in a quiet manner, but has absolutely not only brought the sport of boxing to Vegas in a way nobody else has in such a class manner. But uh, for me, I I think he uh, pretty much saved boxing. People don't realize, like you were mentioning, when the pandemic was going on, he was the only guy out there willing to put out the money Mm -hmm. to keep boxing in the limelight. And, You know, look at all the businesses. Look at all the things that closed during COVID, whereas Bob Arum was like, I'm going to keep boxing out there. Yeah, uh, like you mentioned, he's going to go in the hole. I I read an article one time about the millions he lost on some of those fights just to keep boxing out there. Um, You know, I happened to be in an event a couple years back where a boxer who just happens to have junior after his name, stood out and told the world, pretty much, uh, that he is responsible for boxing being what it is in Vegas. And I'm going to disagree with him. And if he were standing in front of me, I'd tell him to his face that boxing is what it is in Vegas because of Bob Arum.
3: I totally uh, agree with you you know, with that, Karen. And the thing about it is, this is a guy that he made top rank boxing what it is, and he made it his home here uh in top rank boxing going back to the late seventies and the early eighties and this is where the, the foundation is, if you're an up-and-coming boxer, every boxer will tell you that, hey, I've got to get to Vegas. If I want to be a world champion, I have to train like a world champion, and I've got to be at the Mecca, and that is Las Vegas, Nevada. And that is because that's where Bob Rank set up shop here with Top Rank Boxing. And it's if you've been around Vegas for a long time, it's just not the World Championship fights that you see at the MGM or where you see now at the Mandalay Bay or at T-Mobile Arena. But if you go back, it was Caesars Palace. It was the Hilton. And it was the small shows. Bob Aaron was the first to do basically monthly cards at these, you know, these smaller places. I mean, you, know, you go back, the, the Hacienda. Uh, Not even there anymore, okay? Whereas where the Mandalay Bay sits right now. Of course, uh, you go to the Hilton, uh, which is now the Westgate. There were a lot of other smaller venues. The Aladdin, uh, which seated 7,000 fans there, they were part of the rotation as well. There were so many of the smaller casinos, and people remember me from doing shows at the Silver Nugget. In North Las Vegas. Uh, these were, you know, the Mirage used to hold shows uh, all the time. The Tropicana. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The Orleans was another fantastic uh, spot. The Gold Coast. And uh, these were, majority of these places uh, were, were, were top rank boxing shows. So I think when you look at at, at boxing, people want to look at the world championship fights. And we can go on and talk about that Bob Arum promoted every world champion known to mankind, you know, from the laundry list of people from Larry Holmes to George Foreman to even Mike Tyson, believe it or not. But of course, you had Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, Eric Morales, Floyd Mayweather Jr., Johnny Tapia, Oscar De La Hoya, Michael Carbajal, uh, and, and all these guys that he he took from out of the Olympic Games as well, too. And he was the... The Really, the only promoter that would go and recruit these guys, he would go to the Olympic Games and and see these guys when boxing was at its zenith you know in the Olympic Games when USA was winning gold medal after gold medal when my man Kenny Abs was coaching these teams in the '80s and Bob Aaron would sign these guys and and then they became champions because he brought them along at the right time in the right era and that is what this guy did. I mean, there's just so many things from from the highest grossing gates to the number of world champions, to the television networks, to all of the fighters that he's promoted. This guy is still, as we speak here in 2021, the greatest of all time, and he's still doing it. And I pose a question to everybody out there. Who can you name me in any line of business, not just sports, any line of business Where a guy for 55 years who turns 90 years old is still doing business at an accelerated level, probably more so now than he was, you know, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago. Well, and there's
1: one more thing that I don't think people know that I'd like to throw out there is that um, I happened to uh, be at at a gym membership one time and met a And he was not a champion, not top, whatever. And he was telling me that Bob treats everybody like family. Doesn't matter if you've got a belt or you don't have a belt, that Bob treats you like. And as he said it, he talks to you man-to-man, you know, with respect. And this guy happened to be telling me, you know, he was honest enough to tell me I'm not going to be a champion because of whatever, whatever, right? But he said... He gave me the respect of getting me some fights to see if I could. And, you know, Bob keeps his fighters active. Uh, it kills me. Uh, I'm an avid, avid boxing uh, fan, and it kills me when I see people jump ship or sign with other promoters, and then they sit. And Bob was of the generation, the era of, if you want to be a fighter, you fight. You don't sit and wait and And maybe once a year, maybe once every 15 months you take a fight, you fight and you earn your title. And I just always remember this man telling me that Bob Arum still, after he left and couldn't fight anymore, Bob still kept in contact and treated him like family. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes him so special.
3: There it is. Yeah, still relevant today. And again, signing Tyson Fury. And now Tyson Fury, you're basically the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Uh, you know, again, for me, uh, the utmost uh, respect, uh, and I'm not saying just because he's a friend, but just how much I, I admire what he's done for the sport of boxing and continues uh, to do it. So, Karen, I appreciate your thoughts and your phone call. And I, yeah, I pre- happy pre-
1: birthday,
3: Bob. Uh, and I, pre- I appreciate uh, the, the boxing love there. We love it here in Vegas. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Love uh,
1: the show.
3: Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, we come back a little bit more. Steve Sachs. We're going to talk Major League Baseball lockout next. Hi, this is Lennox Lewis, last undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, on a Wednesday, don't forget, go to the website, check it all out, tcmartinshow.com. Check out our interview up on the uh, featured interview up on the homepage with Houston Nutt as we talk about the college football playoff. Appreciate Trevor Madge for joining us a little bit earlier today. Great stuff with that. That'll be on the website as well, too. All right. Let's talk a little UNLV runner-rebel basketball, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, with our guy on the scene, the man who wears many different hats, and that is Sam Gordon. Even though I've rarely seen this guy wear a hat. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal. What's going on, brother? TC, how you doing, my man? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. You know, uh, we've been uh, talking a lot today. With, uh, about the the birthday boy saluting Bob Arum. And you, yeah. like me, Sam, you know, love boxing. You cover the sport and everything. You've got a chance to spend some time with Bob uh, as well. Uh, a, a quick little little thought about Bob Arum still doing it at a high level today at 90 years of age. Uh, it's a testament to, to his passion for the sport of boxing. It's a testament
0: for his passion uh, for the business of boxing, for developing great fighters, for, for making sure the sport – um stays in the mainstream he's been doing it for 55 years he's still doing it at a high level he's got a stable full of champions once again uh and some of the best prospects in the business and when you talk to him tc as you have many times and and i have as well um he's still he's still as sharp as a whip and he, he he still um completely is engaged with everything that he's doing and you still feel the passion and enthusiasm that he has for it so that, I think, is what the coolest part about about him being 90 years old and still doing this at the high level, the highest of levels is. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it doesn't seem like he's slowing down at any time. And, and um, you know, it's another celebration of life for, for the great Bob Aaron, like you said.
3: You got it. Loma Cinco Comey coming up Saturday night in Madison Square Garden uh Lomachenko last time we saw him Sam was here in Vegas at, at the Virgin where he uh, took care of Nakatani no problem uh yeah. and, and you know with the kind of uninspiring performances of Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez and Javante Davis and even though you know you know Haney won his last fight I know you were there you know Saturday night uh does this open the door back up for Lomachenko to be the guy at 135. <laughs> I think it certainly
0: does, TC. I'm not. I'm not sure, right? We we have all these talented. It's the best division in boxing. Let's let's make that very clear. It's the best division in boxing. It's the deepest division in boxing, and you have the most potential stars in that division right now. A lot of young stars. We understand that, but I'm not sure. Lomachenko is still not the best 135 pounder, right? I mean, even going back to that Lopez fight, TC. Obviously, Lopez won the fight. It was a fair decision. Congratulations and a salute to him. And we'll see how he responds from his loss to George Cambosis. But it was really kind of a weird approach from Lomachenko where he didn't throw punches for five or six rounds. As soon as he did, he really took command of that fight, and it required Lopez winning a a dramatic, intense uh, 12th round to really put the finishing touches on that victory because Lomachenko made it a fight. And when you take a look at his skill set, his quick feet, his hands, his ring IQ – uh, his power in both hands, not necessarily one punch power, but the flurries, the combinations, everything he does in the ring. Who else in lightweight is doing that? Now I'm not saying I'm not saying it's definitive that he's the best one hundred and thirty five pounder, but he might be and he's gonna have an opportunity to prove it. Um, the division's only getting hotter and hotter with, with whatever what with, with what happened this past weekend, what happened late last month. And uh, Lomachenko, you know the, the wily old sensei, the veteran, um, he's coming for his belts. That's what he wants and I expect him to put on a show on Saturday night because all the other lightweights have had their opportunity to do so. He's kind of the one closing the calendar and and a big showing by him could position him, uh, for, for some of those big fights next year, maybe a crack at, at George Campos in the belts that he lost last year to say female Lopez.
3: Yeah, no, I'll say it. I think Lomachenko is the best 135-pounder. I think he always has been, and he had the hiccup against Lopez. Like you said, Lopez fought the perfect fight. Whether it was a wake-up call for Lomachenko, you know, and we've seen that with fighters. We've seen guys in other, other sports that need to be humbled a little bit. And, you know, I'm not saying Lomachenko. Maybe he wasn't training, uh, you know, as hard as before, or whatever. Because everything was coming pretty easy to him. But you know, the way he responded uh, to uh, Nakatani back in June, the way he did, and I think what he's going to do against Comey this weekend, I I firmly believe that we have not seen the last of Lomachenko. I think he could still be in the argument for best, you know, pound for pound. Uh, you know, eventually we we know that he was, uh, you know, definitely, you know, going back a year or two ago. But uh, no, I, I don't care. At age 35, this guy you know, doesn't seem to have all of that, uh, those ring wars on him. And yep. uh, I look for him. You know, To me, he is the more, most polished fighter, Sam. Yep. Uh, he's the most yep. professional fighter. And again, he definitely has the most experience of this division. And whether it's 135 or he wants to go up to 140 uh, at any point in time, uh, for me, I still think that uh, Lomachenko is going to be around for quite some time. And I look for him to get in relatively easy victory Saturday night.
0: Yeah, I'm with you, TC. I'm with you completely. I was super impressed. It, it, to, to, like you said, whatever whatever his approach was in that Lopez fight, we, we don't know exactly what was behind the strategy. And credit what creditors do. due. Again, Lopez fought the perfect fight. But he came out in, in the summertime against Nakatani. was the exact opposite of that. I mean, he came out and set the tone. We saw vintage Lomachenko. We saw the combinations. We saw the footwork. We saw the speed. We saw the angles. We saw the creativity. We saw everything that we've seen the past you know, eight, seven, eight nine, 10 years since he turned pro that made him one of the top pound-for-pound fighters in the world. And like you said, even though he's aging, I'm not concerned with it either because his, his amateur career, while, while storied and decorated in a lot of fights, he's only had, what, 16, 17 professional fights. So like you said, he hasn't taken on that, the brunt of that punishment that maybe some of the other guys at his age have. And, and to me, it looks like he can fight at a high level for four, five, six more years depending on how long he wants to go. And um, I, I'm with you. I think he puts on a show. Uh, against comey um I, i'm expecting a, a stoppage and if not a stoppage a clean sweep um I'm, I'm not sure how comey can can win rounds against an engaged locked in obviously lomachenko and that's what i'm expecting and and then then we go into 2022 so you see, it's are we going to finally get some of these marquee fights will one of the young guys step to the plate and and, and take on lomachenko who is kambos going to pick up 135 to defend his titles where's the biggest payday coming for him uh it's super compelling it's it's i think We had some hiccups in boxing this summer with a lot of the cancellations, but we're finishing on a super strong note, and these lightweights are leading that charge.
3: You got it. Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review-Journal, talking to us again, talking a little boxing. Sam also covering UNLV. Uh, You know, very interesting situation here with UNLV because they have now lost five uh, their last five uh, uh, games to d1 opponents and I know you wrote about this uh, this morning uh, give me some thoughts uh, of what you 've seen with unLV sam because really it goes back to say the last couple weeks there was a lot of optimism and yeah. i I hope that that fans aren 't thinking you know there 's pep- pessimism now just because UNLV's lost against some top flight competition
0: no i, I mean it 's it was always going to be a little clunky. That's what was going to happen when you're bringing in 10, 10 new scholarship players. It's a brand-new team for the most part. We understand that. And on the offensive side of the ball, I always felt like it was going to be a little bit clunky. You didn't have a lot of proven um, high-level scores other than Bryce Hamilton, and he's off to a slow start, although he played really well Saturday with his most efficient game of the year. But it's just it's going to take some time for the pieces to come together. I think what's, what's really hurt this team so far is not having another um, primary shot creator Uh, They can get good shots, and they haven't had an issue um, getting good shots. Now They've had their dry spells for sure, but it's not like they can't get good shots. What they've had issue with is forcing bad ones earlier in the clock um, instead of letting the offense run its course and and attacking closeouts and drawing double teams and driving and kicking and and forcing those scramble situations. That's what this team is going to have to do in order to manufacture points on a regular basis. It's not, it's not going to come from one guy outside of Hamilton. You're not going to – this team doesn't have a guy that you're going to give the ball to and say, go give me 25 outside of Bryce Hamilton. He's the one guy to do that. It's on the rest of the group to figure out how to play with him, and it's on him to adapt and take better shots and, and keep the ball moving so that everybody can get in the act and it can be a more efficient team offense. Um, defensively, they were really solid in their first stretch of games, even against um, high major competition like Michigan, but – that's where there's been a little bit of a dip in the last two games. So they, they go back tonight um, against the Seattle team, that, uh, a quality mid-major opponent. The Rebels are favored um, there, and Kevin Kruger told me yesterday he's looking for um, just, just more energy and, and, and aggression on defense. Uh, that's, that's kind of what's been missing, not enough ball pressure, letting guards drive the ball down the middle of the floor and find uh, shooters and drive and kick. That's what's really been cutting up uh, the UNLV defense the last couple of days. So, um, it's early, uh, and we knew it was going to take time. Uh, of course, the early returns haven't been super promising, but it, it was always going to come down to the conference schedule anyways for UNLV. And uh, I, I do think uh, overall it's a better roster. It's just going to take more time uh, to figure out how, how these guys can play together and maximize um, their, their skill sets and complementary skill sets. Uh, there's, there's not a ton of shooting. There's not a ton of shot creation. But with proper patience, with proper execution, UNLV should be able to find a way to grind out some victories Um, In the Mountain West, and at least remain competitive throughout the course of the season.
3: You know, you talk about the conversation you had with Kevin Kruger. One of the things that he said, he used a term that not a lot of college coaches uh, will use, and he used the word timid. He said that a lot. He felt that the the guys were timid, uh, especially yeah. on the defensive side, which you know you don't want to have. I mean, you can't you can't have. But you know, really, I think he hit the nail on the head because your face is a big time competition, and even you know people may not think much of SMU or USF, but the bottom line is these are veteran laden teams, and USF's been yeah. knocking on the door of the WCC there. You know, right behind Gonzaga and St. Mary's and, and BYU for the last few seasons, and Todd Golden's done a great job with them, and SMU SMU, you know they've got athletes uh, galore as well, but you could just see where UNLV still. These guys, they're not a young team, and Kevin hates it when you say they're a young team, but they're still an experienced team when it comes to playing together. And these teams sure. that they're facing and they're losing to are teams that have been together, and it just seems like the personality is a little bit timid here. How do they get over that?
0: Yeah, I, I, that's a great question. I think it's just going to take time. And, and, and it's still the non-conference schedule, which, as we know, especially in the UL and LV situation where they're at as a program, that's a tune-up for the, for the conference season. Now, if we're midway through the conference season, T.C., and we're having this exact same conversation about how clunky things are, then we have a real problem. But I, I didn't expect – personally, I didn't expect the offense to be fine-tuned and to, and to be a, a machine uh, at this point in the season. And I don't know if it will be, just based on the, the skill sets – on the roster without a ton of shooting, uh, without a ton of um, kind of get-your-own-bucket outside of Hamilton uh, ability. Uh, so I, I, think, I, I think, again, I think it was always going to take time. Like you said, with San Francisco, Todd Gold's been there for years. That group has been together for years. Um, in terms of the timid nature of this team, I think it's going to always start defensively, and that's what, what Kevin Kruger was referring to. Is defensively, they have to at least be able to remain in games and not get carved up and torched. And I think that starts with picking up ball handlers, applying better ball pressure, talking more, uh, communicating on the defensive end, uh, helping the helper, all those things, all, uh, playing as, as one singular unit, uh, and then offensively not trying to take, uh, not trying to, if, you're, if they're trailing, not trying to come back uh, in one or two possessions. I think that's been a problem when they've, when they've struggled on the defensive end. You're trying to get it all back too quick. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take teamwork and execution. I know those all sound like cliche things, but that's the reality. You have a number of players that, while they played at, at, at Power 5 programs and were part of those teams, weren't necessarily relied upon or weren't necessarily big-time rotation players. So they're adjusting to the new expectations. Kevin Kruger and his staff are adjusting to the personnel. It's going to take some time, um, and, and let's see where they're, where they're at once we get a few games in the Mountain West play. But, but as of right now, um, the early returns are what they are. I'm expecting an improved effort tonight against Seattle, and we'll see how things click on offense if their defense uh,
3: comes with the proper effort today. All right, Rebels, a couple games this week. They're both at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, again, because you have the uh, the NFR, the rodeo in town at the Thomas and Max Center at the Mandalay Bay, Michelob Ultra Arena, home of the Aces, tonight against Seattle, and then Saturday against Hartford. Tickets available at access.com. Sam, real quick, let's talk Raiders. Um, again, very disappointing performance against Washington on Sunday. This team now yeah. sits at 500, 6-6. Six six. Uh, now they've got to go to Kansas City. The schedule does not get any easier Kansas City, uh, you know, nearly a double-digit favorite in this game. It seems like the Chiefs are really, you know, starting to roll right now, which we expected them to do. Yeah, it's
0: it's. I mean, it's it's a really, really, really tough task. Um, you know, the offense, TC, what we thought was going to be the strength of this team, and what was uh, a very solid offense in the first five, six weeks of the season, the wheels have completely fallen off. You know, for the last five games, sixteen points or fewer. It's starting to look more and more like that. Cowboys game on Thanksgiving was an aberration instead of a reflection of how this team really has been playing. Uh, that's certainly not the case. Uh, now it's, it's – I mean, it, they're at the point that the playoffs are started for the Raiders. Like, they, they've started – they started last week against Washington. They should, the, they should not have lost that game. It was a game at home against a team from a talent perspective that doesn't overmatch them one bit or doesn't even necessarily equal them. A team that I think right now is overachieving, and that's a credit to Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke and, and the other players on that team. Uh, but but that's a game the Raiders should have won, and now you've got to go in the Arrowhead Stadium against a team that's won five in a row with the best defense in the NFL over that stretch. Um, it's a tall task. It's a tall, tall task. I think this is the kind of the game where you, 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 let, all the, you, you let it all fly. Um, you, you push all the chips to the table, and you live with the results. You live with the, uh, the consequences. I, I expect a more aggressive game plan offensively. I expect... Uh, an adjustment in the way that the Raiders defended Patrick Mahomes last time, kind of sticking with their cover three principles instead of going to that cover two uh, deep safety shell look that has flustered Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey all year. Uh, th- th- this is a game. I mean, they have to find a way. I, you look at the the way the standings are shaking out. I don't know if nine wins gets in. It might be ten wins. That's that number seven seed. Maybe it's nine. At the bare minimum, it's nine. That means you have to win three of your last five. Three of those are on the road, and two of them, uh, the, the two that are at home are against divisional opponents. So there's nothing easy left on this schedule. Uh, go out there, see what happens, roll the dice, live with the results. That's what the Raiders are going to have to do. They did beat Kansas City uh, in Arrowhead last year, albeit with a, a dramatically reduced number of fans. But that's going to be a, a voracious uh, crowd on Sunday, and uh, that's what the Raiders are going to have to go into. They did not help themselves out with that loss in Washington. Uh, loss to Washington, uh, and now it puts the onus on this game. I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, how they do it, but they're going to have to come up with a way to do it, and we're going to see what happens on Sunday.
3: Yeah, and the thing about it is, I mean, these Chiefs—they uh, they remember that you know that loss last year as well too. They are playing some great football. You know, back to the Raiders, you know, losing to Washington and then going back two weeks prior to that against Cincinnati. Just the slow starts, especially here at home. It's. Uh, yeah, it's it's been tough, and we'll see if the Raiders are can pull this thing off. It is definitely going to be a tall task. Sam, we got to uh, move on. I appreciate you, brother, uh, and uh, we look forward to, to seeing you very, very soon. And uh, like I said, Rebels this weekend, Raiders on the road. We'll talk to you next week, brother.
0: Always, GC, Appreciate you having me. Talk you.
3: You got it. There he is. Sam Gordon does a fantastic job covering the raiders unlv boxing all there for you for the las vegas review journal all right let's uh, go on over and talk a little major league baseball our guy steve Sachs is with us sexy what's going on brother tc martin uh great to be with you i'm sorry you you have been
2: subjugated to a phone call by dusty baker i had to talk to my brother for a little bit that's all you know he's from the he's from our place and you know, I, if Dusty calls me, I gotta, I gotta listen. I gotta talk to him. So nothing against you, my friend.
3: Not a problem. And this is live radio. It happens. Uh, I, I imagine a majority of that phone call was Dusty telling you what a great time he had with me here last weekend, and uh, and all the the great he, uh, the great dining uh, places I took him to. Right? He he absolutely did. He was very <laughs> uh,
2: complimentary of your uh, your hosting capabilities, etc. And uh, Dusty is. Uh, Later on, not now, but later on, Dusty will be part of the Sacks in the Morning broadcast. He's going to be coming on the network, on, on the uh, the podcast with me. Uh, but it- it's going to be later on uh, when we get the uh, the lockdown all finished up. I'm going to have the great Dusty Baker on.
3: That's what I'm talking about, my friend. There it is. See, all right, there you go. Yeah. I mean, Dusty gets the invite mm-hmm. before me. I guess. Well, I can understand that. You know, future <laughs> Hall of Famer. I can see it, Sacks. Yeah. So, what yeah. when are you? It's your turn to come to Vegas, all right? It's your turn now. Yeah. Let me let me whine and dine you. Let's go.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, I want to go to the ballpark as well. I, uh, I've seen the ballpark from the outside, but I haven't been into Allegiant Stadium yet. And you know that I'm a huge Raiders fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm, this is odd because I'm, I, I love the 49ers and the Raiders. I love them both. Um, and so I would love to go down there. And uh, and watch that watch a game with, with the Raiders, and uh, I'm sure that you can get us both on the sideline. Is that right, TC? Uh, I want to I to get there close to see David Carr snap a, uh, Derek Carr <laughs> <laughs> snap a few of those off.
3: Yes, we can we could take care of that. Uh, you know, no problem. Like I said, you know, we, Dusty last last Sunday for the, the Washington game. Steve Saxon it for the next game. You you you, you get here, my yeah, man. Here. You just get here. That's all you yeah. got to do. Yeah. Okay. And my come question hun- is, how how the how the Raiders lose to
2: Washington? I, I don't get it. Well, I mean,
3: anyway. Well yeah, they, they they lost because believe it or not, I mean they they look like they got beat by a better team. I mean Taylor Heineke looked well, like Sonny Jurgensen or yeah. something like that. I mean look he looked, he did. He looked fantastic.
2: Yeah. And the Raiders, uh, the Raiders. One of the Raiders' best players, of course, their tight end, wasn't on the on the field playing. That hurts them a bit too.
3: Yeah, Darren Waller uh, out, no question. And in, right. t- in a tough game coming up this weekend, as the Raiders have got to travel to Kansas City. Six and six Raiders. Slow starts, man. It's just it's it's been rough, and especially yeah. at home. Especially it's it's been yeah. it's been puzzling. They are the tough one of the toughest teams to figure out. You know how they're going to perform week in and week out. I mean, I thought that Dallas would take care of uh, them on Thanksgiving Day, and yep. boom, the Raiders show up. Yep. So yeah, they did the,
2: Ra- the Raiders. The Raiders are great when the running game is good because that complements the passing. Which, yeah. which uh, uh, Derek Carr is you know the leading passer I think in the in the uh, in the AFC right. Right. So he's uh, he, he's amazing, and when their running game is good, he's better. So I like to see that to keep it up.
3: All right, man. Sax, so you mentioned the uh, you know the lockout that is that is happening now. Uh, I want to go back mm-hmm. a, a little bit. I know that you know the last time we went through this was 1994, and I know you, you were still playing. I think that was your last year in, in Major League Baseball. Yep. I'm curious, yes. you know, it, you know the comparison to that to now, mm-hmm. did that have a personal mm-hmm. effect on you, it, 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 that lockout? I know you only played seven yes. games that season, but kind of go into it from mm-hmm. a player's perspective, even though that was your last season, maybe it affected maybe some of the younger guys a little bit more with mm-hmm. free agency and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But but I want to hear the, the effects. 1994 with Steve Sachs in that lockout.
2: Well, it's one of the reasons that I retired. Um, I, I went through four work stoppages. Uh, and I was sick and tired of it. I I was tired of all of that rancor between the players and the owners, and I just got sick of it. I was at a point in my life where, you know, a a lot of things were changing, and uh, I I wanted to see my kids more, and putting up with this stuff was was just a bunch of BS. I wanted to play baseball, and if we couldn't do that, if we had to be all about business, I'm out. Uh, And so that was one of the reasons that I I retired. Um, But I will tell you, I don't see similarities between – the only similarities between this is what it always is. It's always about free agency. Right. But to me, this one's different because the players know right now that there's no way they're going to get that free agency from six years to five years. That's never going to happen. If, they, if the players think that they can get that from six years to five years, then cancel the season right now because it's never going to happen. Never. It's never, ever going to happen. Can you, get, can you get arbitration from three years to two? Maybe. Um, I, I think there's something they can probably do, possibly, maybe 50 50 on that. Can, can the players make more money earlier in their career? Another sticking point. Yes, the owner's already offered to bring the minimum up from 550 to a million, a million bucks for a wow. minimum. Okay, they've already offered that. Um, can they, can they uh, relinquish the, uh, the, the necessity to have a draft pitch attached to a guy that becomes a free agent? Yeah, they've already given that up, too. How about the Universal DH? The players wanted that. Well, the owner said, fine, take it. I don't know what else they have to do, but the, the players have signed some really big contracts recently, really, really, really big ones. And for them to, for two reasons, to have all these concessions that have already been given to them by the owners, number one. And number two, to argue that free agency doesn't work they're going to have a real hard time to do that and have the public buy it when they see all the contracts that were recently signed. I think they need to get to the table and get this thing over with. I think they will. I don't think it's going to be long and drawn out. I think this thing is, is definitely over in sometime in January, easily, uh, maybe in December.
3: No, those are great points, right there. And again, it's it's not really about the money like it has been in past. Like you said, it's free agency back then. It's always about free agency. But this is this is the thing that the the sticking point here. And you're saying no way in the world it gets from from six years to five. Why are you so adamant in saying that the owners will not will not, uh, not. relinquish that? Why is they that?
2: Will, Keithy, they will they will never play again if that's the issue. That that's the cornerstone of. Of 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 what the owners are all about in free agency. That's that's like a, a pit bull getting a a steak in his mouth, and he ain't gonna let that go. And the owners, once they got that deal, they're never letting that go. And I and I will I will say it again: if the players feel that they're gonna get that from six games to five games, then you cancel this season and a lot of other seasons because that is never ever gonna happen. They know it's not gonna happen. They they know it. Manfred knows it. The, Tony Clark knows it. They, they ought to just move on and see what you can do with arbitration. Uh, you know, they, all, they already offered, instead of doing it, uh, you know, time-based free agency, they offered it at 29 and a half. Anybody can become a free agent. There's another thing that's great for the players. You know, you come out of college for four years, you're 22. You go to the, to the minor leagues for four years. Uh, now, you, now, you're, uh, now you're 26. And then you go, you know, a, a, a few years. Uh, it was, well, it's actually six years. Now you're 32 before you can become a free agent. I mean, that's, that's kind of hard. I totally get where the players are coming from. But now they're doing it at 29 and a half. You can become a free agent. Anybody. That's another concession they, they've given.
3: I don't know how much more the players want. Let me ask you, Steve. What, what is the big d- difference from the with the owner's standpoint from 6 years to 5 we're talking about 1 year here and it's not like we're talking about from mm-hmm. 6 to 4 or we're talking 5 to 3 which i could see what wh- why is that such a big deal like 6 to
2: 5 it's a it it is a massive difference M- not small i'm talking about massive even though it's difference. 1 year even
3: though it's only 1 year even
2: 1 year absolutely one, that 1 year is, and i don't have the numbers in front of me but the numbers are there they're crunched they're there are evidence that, that that one year puts a, a tremendous spin and difference upon, you know, how much more money the, the owners are going to lose. Listen, I'm not crying in the soup for the owners. No way. These guys make ten times more money than the players. I guarantee you. So I'm not on the owner's side. As a matter of fact, I'm on the player side. But I'm just trying to be realistic. That one year, TC, and again, the numbers aren't in front of me. I've seen them. And it is a drastic difference. Now, when you, you offer up 29.5 free agency based on age instead of, instead of tenure, I mean, that's a big concession. And I think the players are going to have to strongly consider that. I hope they do. I mean, look at the contracts they signed. $325 million for Seager, $175 million for, you for know, Marcus Simeon, and so on.
3: Yeah, uh, Max Scherzer, another uh, big contract. Yeah. Before that, three you know, with the, Yeah, with the Mets. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. What ha- What happens again? I know you, you're talking to Dusty, and and we all want to know about Carlos Correa. Uh, I know that you mm-hmm. think that Seager may be a little bit better than Correa. I think Correa is fantastic. Where do you think he lands? What kind of money do you think Correa gets?
2: Well, I, I didn't talk to Dusty at all about Correa. We didn't talk about baseball.
3: Right, right, right. I know. Well, we, 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 I we just talked yeah,
2: about stuff. Okay. You. Where do I think he lands? Yeah. Look, I, I thought that Correa may have a little bit of a reduction because he doesn't play all the time or hasn't played. He's been a little injury prone. So Korea. Correa. Um, I think if you parse it out and, and kind of judge where these guys are, I think I'd, you know, they're both great talents. I think maybe you give a little bit of an edge to Corey Seager because he's left-handed, um, and. Uh, and, and and he's got a little bit more power. Uh, Correa probably a little better as far as the defense goes, or not not much because Seeger does make all the average plays, and that's what you want a shortstop to do. Correa's got crazy talent on defense. Um, I, I listen. I didn't think Seeger was going to get that much, so maybe maybe Correa gets up close to 300.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: All right, he is Steve Sachs. Check out his podcast, Sachs in the Morning. It is available where you get all of your podcasts. Uh, tease us a little bit. Tell us what you got coming up, man.
2: Oh, we got, we got some great stuff coming up. Let me tell you this. Not only do we have the great Dusty Banker coming on after the lockout because he can't, he can't come on while the lockout is, is uh, in, right. in action, but we have another guest coming up, and I can't tell you for sure when it's happening, but I can tell you one thing. We are going to have one of the biggest names in music, current music, that'll blow your mind away. He's got 44 million followers <laughs> on Instagram. Let me just tell you that. It is coming up. I'll give you the name next time we
3: come on. There we go. All right. He is Steve Sachs. Great stuff, my brother. Appreciate you as always. Yes, sir. And uh, we'll talk to you real, Thanks, real CC. soon. You got it, bro. There he is. Steve Sachs. Two time World Series champion, five time All Star. And he's rolling along with his podcast, Sacks in the Morning. All right, how about the guest list today, huh? Steve Sacks joined us. Sam Gordon, Trevor Maddich, TJ Reeves. Appreciate all of them. And, again, a happy birthday to my guy, Bob Arum. Uh, Bob will have, has a press conference uh, going tomorrow with uh, Lomachenko Comey in Madison Square Garden. We'll try to uh, get Bob to uh, join us uh, tomorrow. He's uh, enjoying his dinner there right now with all of his uh, family uh, in New York. Uh, so happy 90th birthday to Bob Arum. Still doing it strong. 55 years in going top ranked boxing. All right. Back at it again tomorrow. Heidi Fang joins us tomorrow. Scott Spreitzer, we got him up. Start handicapping week number 14 of the NFL as well. So we got all that uh, happening and a whole lot more. On tomorrow's show, and the lovely and talented and knowledgeable Dr. Christina Madison joins us, too. We talked to her about the, the COVID vaccines, the boosters that are being available. Yes, I'm boostering up tomorrow myself, courtesy of Dr. Christina Madison. There you go. I should be okay to do the show tomorrow. I'll be strong, no doubt. For Numpchuck, TC Mart's saying so long. I'm going to part of the show. You know where to go. Go to the website at TCMartShow.com. Hey, buddy, are you? Hey, buddy, are you? Hey, buddy, are you? Hey, to hey, 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 so the Blues, brother. Hey, search who yeah. are you?